0: Did you know, uh, 500 years ago this month, uh, maybe the seminal event that kicked off the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation in Europe, took place on October 31st of the year 1517, a guy by the name of Martin Luther. There were many before him who set the stage, but uh, his actions are actually kind of the thing that really we look back to and say, that was the start. It was just kind of the big event. And uh, Martin Luther, what he does is he uh, writes 95 theses about uh, the Christian faith based off of Scripture and Scripture alone. And we'll talk about why here in just a moment. Um, and he nails them to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church. And then everything blows up. And over the course of the next uh, nearly 100 years, uh, many uh, him and many after him begin to uh, reform the faith and return to the roots of this book and what God's word teaches. It really wasn't anything new; it, it was a return. It was a return to the truth of Scripture and to what was written. And so, really, the summary of everything they taught is summed up in uh, in the early 1900s. It began to be referred to as the five solas. Five solas. Five alone. Sola means is Latin for alone or only. And these five truths that uh, uh, seem to be repeated over and over and over among all the reformers. And so in the early 1900s, theologians, as they were in church, historians, as they were studying this, came up with these five solas that really characterized all of the reformation and Uh, Let me read them to you, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start. I'll give you a little more background, and then we're going to start in on the first one, uh, sola Christus. That's the first one. It means Christ alone. Uh, Christ is the only and exclusive one through whom salvation comes. He is the lone mediator between God and man. Uh, Also in their writings and in their their return uh, to Scripture was sola scriptura, only the Scripture's. Uh, The scriptures, God's word, not the institutional church, are the primary authority by which humanity must live and against which truth and error must be judged. Uh, Sola gratia, only by grace, that salvation is by grace alone. It's the free and unmerited gift of God uh, to sinful humans in this world, and you cannot earn it in any way, shape, or form. Sola fides, only by faith. The gift of salvation and the benefits for being in God's eternal family come through personal faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Not by any good works. Not by going through a a ritual in the church or participation in the sacraments. The only thing is for you to have faith and to turn to him in faith. And then to sum it all up, soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory, that all was accomplished by God's grace and for his glory. And it's the culmination of all of them. And what we're going to see over the next five weeks is all five of these truths really uh, weave together. It's hard to pull one out by itself. You're going to see all of them in there. So that's why I uh, give you a brief summary here before we get going. But with that, let me pray, and then uh, we'll dive into the word together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and thanks for your grace to us through him. Um, Lord Jesus, I pray uh, through your spirit, you might calm my heart today. Just uh, kind of a hectic morning, getting around and some things not working. And uh, so my mind's racing in different directions. Did you uh, still use me, I pray. And uh, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you do choose to use me. Uh, I'm sinful and, and really it's because of the truth this morning. It's only because of Jesus that you do. Uh, So teach us this morning, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Uh, This truth uh, turns on its head every accusation that he makes. And so he he would desire us definitely not to hear it and certainly not to understand it. So, Holy Spirit, would you help me be clear and uh, teach me even as I teach. We love you. We love Jesus and we're thankful for him. We pray all of this through him. Amen. As I mentioned, Martin Luther's uh, nailing the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church in 1517 uh, was really the kickoff of the Reformation. So, uh, you know, if, if you're one of those people, and this is fine, if you don't, you know, you don't do anything on Halloween, here's something for you to celebrate, because it was October 31st. It's Reformation Day, man. It's the day that that, that the Reformation really kicked off. And the reason there was a need for Reformation is because leading up to the 16th century, to the 1500s, there was great corruption in the church. There was incredible sin among the priests and among uh, the religious leaders. especially sexual sin and and all kinds of different things going on that uh, if you come to uh, our Doctrine Wednesday next Wednesday, you'll learn more about. So I'm not going to go into all of that today. Um, But there was great sin, great corruption, um, and there was an incredible departure from the true teaching of Scripture in the church at that time. Rather than Scripture being the primary authority, the church and its tradition had become the primary authority. Now over the years leading up to 1517, there were uh, many attempts at reform uh, by people within the church. Uh, Luther himself actually at the time was in the church. He was a monk, which he would later uh, leave uh, the monastery and uh, begin uh, translating the Bible into German and planting churches and doing things like that. But uh, there was there was an attempt for reform from within the church, but it never really took. Uh, curiously enough, though, uh, none of them proved to be effective and and even people knowing all the corruption in the church didn't threaten its position in society for one simple reason uh, the church's principal commodity in the day was salvation and it had a monopoly on it no matter how corrupt the church was no matter how much it was criticized no matter how many reform programs were dreamed up debated even implemented Uh, The church itself was fundamentally unassailable since it was the gatekeeper to heaven. Unlike today, people in the 15th and 16th century, think about it, they lived daily in the presence of death. Uh, They thought about death a lot. The afterlife was continually on their minds. And so as long as the church was the only game in town... uh, for salvation, nobody really wanted to mess that up. And its power couldn't be effectively challenged. Does that make sense? Well, uh, Luther and others still recognize that, hold on, we have to challenge it because um, they're leading people ultimately to their damnation because they're not finding salvation in Jesus alone, which is revealed in his word alone. And there were some bold men and women that we need to be thankful for, who returned the church back to the roots of Scripture. The intention was never to split off and form new churches. The intention was to reform the Roman Catholic Church, but it simply didn't happen. And so because of that, now today, there were different strands of the Reformation and uh, many Protestant churches today and evangelical churches among them uh, who looked to the Reformation really as a return to Scripture and a return to orthodoxy. Uh, I mentioned that the five sol- I mentioned the five solas that sum up this. And today we're going to talk about sola Christus, or uh, Christ alone. And Christ alone, this doctrine affirms that our salvation is secured by the work of Jesus Christ alone on the cross. That can be added to it. There's salvation in no one else. Jesus Christ is the lone mediator between God and mankind. See, during the time of the Reformation, the Roman Catholic tradition had placed church leaders as priests in the role of intercessor between laity and God. And hear me when I say this. hope you know my heart. My heart here isn't in saying some of these things to to bash the Roman Catholic Church, okay? Not at all. But the reality is that they're a major player in the Reformation at this time. And you, you can't talk about it without talking about some of the things that they taught, which... Uh, and, and some that they continue to teach that I don't see in Scripture. You can make that determination for yourself today. Uh, but they would make priests as the intercessor between laity and God. And Roman Catholic doctrine also viewed Jesus' mother Mary, and they continue to, as a co-redeemer. You know, we, we just sang uh, from from Timothy that there is one mediator, the man Jesus Christ. Uh, and they looked to deceased saints as intercessors. And furthermore, the church made righteousness a commodity to be earned through good works and penance, rather than a gift that comes only by grace, which we'll get to in a few weeks. Well, thankfully, the reformers, Martin Luther among them, uh, emphasized Jesus' role as our high priest. That he is our high priest. he's the one who intercedes for us before the Father. And as mankind's lone and exclusive mediator before God. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at this truth, and we're going to find it. uh, There's many places we find it, but we're going to look specifically in Romans chapter 3. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 3, where we'll see that uh, there is no other mediator between God and man but Jesus Christ. And there's no other way to salvation other than Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do to add to it. There's no penance to complete. Uh, It's not about you getting everything right and getting saved. It's about Jesus having done everything right for you and giving you his righteousness as a gift. I loved the quote on the screen this morning as we got going from Luther, right? He died for my sin. And uh, he took my sin and he, he he made it his own. And he gave me his righteousness and made it my own. And if he's taken my sin and he's made it his, then guess what? I no longer have it. It's no longer mine, but I am free. That's the truth of Christ alone. And we're going to see that in Romans chapter 3. Let's read together, starting in verse 21. Paul writes this. He says uh, to the church in Rome, he says, but now... Uh, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Leading up to this, Paul had been teaching a little bit about the law and about uh, the law in the Old Testament and, and what it required, uh, but how it was insufficient. And he says, now God's righteousness has been manifested apart from the law. Essentially, that, uh, by the law, you can't ever achieve God's righteousness. By good works, you can never become righteous or holy. However, he says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. I'm going to read through the text and then we'll come back here. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. That he might be just and be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Well, on your message notes this morning, I've got a little chart. And what I want to do before we unpack this text is I want to teach you the truth. And uh, I'm visual, so you've got some graphics. Is that helpful for you maybe too? And uh, this, I think, will help summarize what it means, what the Bible teaches about salvation in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. And what I want you to do as you look at this and as you consider this, ask yourself... Is is my faith, is my belief in what this teaches? Is it in Jesus Christ and his work alone? Or am I finding myself putting faith in myself to do enough good works, to be right enough with God? Am I putting my faith in the fact that I go to church all the time and I've gone to church my whole life? And so my faith isn't in Jesus, but it's in, again, my works and my actions. Think about that here as we talk about it. So as we talk about the work of Jesus, it's really twofold. You know the hymn, Rock of Ages, right? The, the death of, be of sin the double cure. You ever wonder what that means? We're going to sing it later, and now you're going to learn what it means in case you didn't know. But be of sin the double cure. See, Jesus accomplishes two things for us on the cross. One, the big thing that he does, the first thing, two big things, but the first one is he atones the Father. He satisfies the Father's wrath for sin. See, Romans 3 tells us that, that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We read that in, in verse 23. But also in chapter 6, it tells us that the wages of sin is death. And throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, we see that because of our sin, God who is just demands that wrath be meted out for sin. He's perfectly holy. He's perfectly just. He's perfectly good. And so when we sin against him and when we miss the mark, he has no option if he's not to deny himself, but then to pour out wrath for sin. It has to be poured out. It has to be dealt with. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. Well, Jesus lived a life that was perfect without any sin. He's the only one in human history to get it right perfectly every time. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, the the writer of Hebrews tells us. He never messed up. He never dropped the ball. He never missed the mark. And because of this, though, uh, he's a perfect sacrifice for us, and Yet God still on the cross. Jesus goes to the cross for you and for me, takes my sin. He who had no sin became sin so that I could have the righteousness of God, Paul writes. And he dies on the cross. He didn't earn death. That wasn't a wage that he earned. But he died on the cross. And what happens is he takes the punch of God's wrath. In the text this morning, we saw the word uh, in, uh, where is it? What verse here? That he's the propitiation for our sin. Verse 25, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood. That's a similar word to atonement. It means that, God, that Jesus satisfies God's wrath. And to remember what that means, just think propitiation. Listen, you know, you know what Jesus did for you? On the cross, he who was without sin took the punch of God's wrath. And God's wrath, listen, it's not to be dealt with lightly. It's not to be ignored. Go read the book of Revelation, where God's wrath is poured out in full measure. Read Isaiah, where where those who have uh, turned from Jesus, who have turned from God, are forced to drink the cup of God's wrath to the dregs. It means to the last drop. The full measure. Jesus took the full measure of God's wrath on the cross. And that's the atonement. He satisfied God's wrath. Well, because of this, then in the Father's sight, he declares us righteous. We are justified. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are justified now. A couple ways to think about this. To be justified, it's now when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin, but he sees me clothed in Jesus' righteousness. And it's just as if I'd never sinned. It's just as if I'd never messed up. All of my sin has been dealt with. God's wrath has been totally satisfied. That's what Jesus does for me. There's nothing left for me to do. See, when the reformers begin teaching this about Christ alone, it's, it's because there were so many other things added on to what Christ had done that you had to do in order to earn salvation. You, you had to pay You had to uh, Pay indulgences you had to do penance, you, you had to do all kinds of good works, you had to take communion, you had to participate in, in, in all no 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 no, no no, no. all of that's great, and that should flow out of your life of obedience to Jesus, but it doesn't earn you god's favor. it doesn't satisfy his wrath. Only Jesus' death satisfies god 's wrath. there's nothing left for you to do. That's why he said it is finished. It's finished. No overtime. It's done. That's it. Well, because of this, then God declares you as righteous. And get this. Justification means you are declared righteous. You don't earn your righteousness. God declares it of you. Do you realize if you've become a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus, uh, you may still sin. I imagine you do. I still do. I try not to, but I still do. But you are no longer viewed by God as a sinner. Your identity is now one of a saint. Why? Because you've been declared righteous. You've been declared clean. Totally new. Your sin is done. It's totally paid for. See, there was this thing in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 19, called the Day of Atonement. You ever heard of that? And uh, on the Day of Atonement, uh, it actually, Yom Kippur, it was just this weekend in Israel, on Friday, I believe. And on Yom Kippur, what they would do is uh, God gave commands to them. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to take two goats out of the herd, two lambs out of the herd, and uh, two that are spotless and without blemish. And on the first one, what I want you to do is I want you to, uh, the priest, everybody's going to confess their sin, and the priest is going to pray over it and symbolically put all the sin of the people on this lamb." And then he's going to slit its throat and kill it and drain its blood and offer it as a sacrifice. And you can imagine, I if we did that today, right? The, the visual that you would have of, okay, that's how God sees my sin. Yikes, it's, it's a bloody mess. Well, uh, after that, then the priest would uh, come and they'd take the second lamb. And you can imagine his garment's all stained probably with blood. He takes the second lamb and he prays over it and he symbolically puts all of the sin of God's people on this lamb. And they pray. And then you know what they do with this lamb? They chase it out of town. They say, get out of town. And they don't let it come back. It's the scapegoat. It's the one who escapes. And it carries away all of their sin. Well, the first thing that Jesus does for us uh, in, in, on the cross is he satisfies God's wrath. He's the lamb of propitiation or of atonement. And he is also, though, uh, toward us then, he earns our redemption and he sets us free. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is also this Lamb. He's also the scapegoat. He carries away our sin for it never to return. And so the other work of Jesus on the cross, not just atonement, but redemption. He's paid the penalty for you and he's set you free. You are no longer under the control of sin. You're new, you're clean, you're free. Do you get that? Those two things Jesus accomplishes for you. How much of that have you done so far? Yeah, nothing. How much of God's wrath have you satisfied? How much of your redemption have you paid for? That's it. You know what your only role is? Well, there's a a third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, uh, we're taught uh, from Scripture, uh, comes to dwell within us when you become a Christian. And really what happens is he is working behind the scenes and in our hearts and nudging us toward belief. And the only thing required of you in salvation is to believe. And even that, you could argue, the Holy Spirit is the one pushing you to believe. It has nothing to do with you. So if if somebody comes to you and they go, uh, how do you know you're a Christian or how do you become a Christian? What's the answer? Believe. You believe in Jesus. Well, what do I believe? Well, I believe that uh, he lived a perfect life and he satisfied the father's wrath for my sin. And I believe that uh, because of that, the father declares me righteous. I didn't earn any of it. And Jesus also, he redeems me and he sets me free from my sin. It's never to be held against me. And and I know I don't have to live under it anymore. All, All I, I just have to believe that. And you're like, they're like, that's foolishness. Like, yeah, that's what Paul wrote too. That the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. But you just simply need to believe. I know it doesn't make sense, but it's true. It's God's incredible grace to you. Well, that's the truth being taught in Romans chapter 3. So if you want to understand how to explain salvation and what Jesus accomplished on the cross, uh, maybe that little diagram will help you to sort that out. But let's continue in the text in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. The first thing I would commend to you is that... uh, Remember, uh, God declares us righteous, his justification. And this righteousness, loved ones, is a gift. It's a gift. Now, I don't know about you, but I loved Christmas as a little kid. you have any traditions with Christmas growing up? For us, the, the presents would uh, would go out leading up to Christmas, and we might get to open one on Christmas Eve. But then you'd go to bed uh, at Christmas Eve, and you couldn't sleep. And you wake up the next morning, and uh, you run downstairs, you run to the tree, and then there's more presents than there were the night before, which is pretty cool. It was always kind of funny that Santa had the same handwriting as my mom. I don't know if you noticed that. But, um, but there were more presents on, on Christmas morning, and we'd open them. And then uh, at the end of that, then, um, did you ever have this happen? Did any of your parents who gave you these gifts or anyone who gave you a gift said, um, by the way, that'll be uh, $129.95. You can be by cash or check. How do you want to pay for those gifts? What What would you have done if that had happened? Like if you got a, the last gift you got was a bill to pay for all those gifts that somebody supposedly gave you. Listen, righteousness is a gift. There's no bill to be paid by you. It's all paid by Jesus Christ. All you have to do is receive it. By faith. By believing. That's how you're saved. Let's look at the text here in Romans chapter 3 verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, Paul writes, apart from the law. It's been manifested apart from the law. Well, the righteousness of God, we've talked about already, Uh, it's it's God's rightness. It's his holiness. And we are declared righteous. We receive it because of the work of Jesus as a gift. Um, He says it's, it's apart from the law. In other words, it's apart from works. It's apart from you earning it. However, he says, although, however, the law and the prophets, this is really what they're all teaching. They're all teaching that salvation is a gift, that God's righteousness is a gift to you. All of them point to the work of Jesus Christ. And and if we had time, we would go back and see that the law and the prophets actually teach this same truth, that righteousness is a gift. See, the the righteousness of God uh, comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's for all who believe. It's a gift. It's a gift. Now notice the the origin of this gift. Notice the origin of it. Uh, It's the righteousness of who? Of God. Uh, You would have been right even sharing the normal Sunday school answer, right? The righteousness of Jesus. Because he's God. It's the righteousness of God. It comes from God. Philippians 3. uh, Or or, excuse me. uh, Yeah, Philippians uh, 3 verse 9. And be not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It it comes from God; that's its origin. It's apart from the law, but it's testified to by the law. It's it's a it's a gift. Ephesians two eight and nine says that uh, your salvation it's a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. Friends, righteousness is a gift to be received, and it's a gift that's needed by all sinners. See, look at the end of verse 22 into verse 23. Is anybody a sinner here? Anybody ever sinned? So all sinners, what do you suppose I mean by all? I mean all. Yeah, I mean all of us, right? So that's all of us. We all need this. We need this gift. For, here's what Paul writes. He says, There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, uh, all here in the Greek also means all. <laughs> we've all sinned, we've all messed up. Every one of us needs this gift. And if you've sinned, guess what you can never do? Because one sin disqualifies you from it. You can never earn God's righteousness. Because his righteousness is perfect and holy without sin. And so even if you sin once, you're disqualified. You can never earn it. But there was a man who lived a perfect life, who never sinned, who earned and kept his righteousness, really, and then offers it to us because of his work on the cross, Jesus Christ this righteousness that's a gift It's needed by all sinners uh, some consequences of this um, see a consequence is that that i can't earn it, that i can't do anything to add to it that uh, Being good enough is never good enough. It's never enough. All people today would affirm that they're sinful, but the problem is few would affirm uh, maybe that there's any consequence to their sin because our sin ultimately earns us damnation in hell. See, Jesus was our propitiation. He was our atonement. He took the punch of God's wrath and he offers us salvation as a gift that you have to receive. But guess what happens if you don't receive it by faith? Then you're the one who will satisfy God's wrath for your sin. It's really simple. There's two options. Either you receive the fact that Jesus satisfied God's wrath for your sin. Or you say, no, I got this. And you're going to satisfy God's wrath for your sin. It's a hard truth to teach, but it's true nonetheless. That those apart from Jesus Christ who die apart from faith in Jesus Christ will spend their eternity in hell paying the penalty for their sin under God's wrath. I know that's really unpopular to say today. How intolerant of you, Josh. But, um, you know, how exclusive of you. Well, guess what? Jesus is incredibly inclusive That this gift of salvation is to anyone who would simply believe and put your faith in him. But the text is clear that those who don't will be the ones who satisfy God's wrath for their sin. So how do I receive this gift? It's received only by faith. It's received by faith. Look through the rest of the text here. Uh, Verse 22 tells us uh, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Uh, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood. In other words, as a satisfaction of his wrath by his blood an atonement an atoning sacrifice to be received by faith. Now, why would God want us to receive this by faith, by simply believing? Because I don't know about you, but there's, I, I, it's like, a, I feel like I ought to do something to earn it. Well, the problem is uh, when, you, when there's something you have to do, it's never going to be enough. You're never going to get there, you're always going to fall short. And the reason it's by faith, Paul tells us right here in the text, this was to show God's righteousness. Because it's not about your righteousness. It's about Jesus' righteousness. And the reason you receive it by faith is to show his righteousness. That it's all about Jesus. See, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. In a sense, what happens in the Old Testament, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, none of them dealt with the people's sins. None of them did. But but God took that and and, uh, he received it. And essentially what he did is he... For lack of a better way to say it, it's like he pulled a big tarp over all the sins of the people in the Old Testament and he piled them up and he saved them and he poured them out on Jesus on the cross. Because ultimately their sacrifices pointed ahead to the ultimate sacrifice. God in his forbearance, in his restraint, he passed over those former sins. He didn't mete out wrath until Jesus on the cross. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that He might be just. In other words, he's still going to deal with that sin, but also be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Loved ones, the truth of sola Christus, or Christus, however you say it, I don't speak Latin, is that it's all about Jesus and Jesus alone. And your salvation is earned only by him, not by you. And he is the only way truth, the life. Righteousness is a gift that all sinners need and it's received by faith. Amen? Let me pray and then we're going to sing about that truth and call it a morning. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and your grace to us. Uh, Lord, thank you most for Jesus. The fact that he would live a perfect life, that he would die on the cross in my place, I don't deserve it. Um, and the truth of the matter is, I, I, I can't add anything to it. I, I'm totally helpless, and I must humble myself to receive that gift. And I thank you for it. I pray, Lord, for each one who's hearing my voice right now. I pray that they would uh, understand that truth. That, Jesus, you are uh, the one who satisfies the Father's wrath for my sin. You're also the one who... Uh, redeems me and declares me free sets me free of sin and because of your work on the cross the father uh, declares me righteous it's an incredible truth and i believe it lord i pray that those who don't yet might and uh, that many more would we pray all this in jesus name and him alone amen